singing tonight with all my heart I believe in every word we've sung tonight you're able you're able would you go back to that course sister Cindy the uh, tis so sweeter to trust in Jesus and sing that that course Jesus Jesus how I trust Him, how I prove Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious right there for a moment how I proved I don't know what it showed on the screen it's old English the writer of the song that says or and or what that really means is over and over you ever proved Jesus before you know it seems a little odd that we would need to prove Jesus but you do have you ever had to prove to yourself you could do something because you wanted to know you could do it. Pick it up, something you thought was heavier than you could pick up, prove yourself. It's kind of like as they, they joined that song and they, they, they started singing it, instantly my mind came to this. I've proved him over and over. Not just I proved him once. And, and again, my mind, just, just the way, way it works, my mind just kind of went that I didn't start by proving him on the biggest thing in the world. I started by proving him on the small things. And you know what? He's never failed me. He's, he's never let me down. Times I thought, man, how is this going to happen? I proved him. I prove that the word is true. Or sing this first verse. Say, tis so sweet to trust in Here it is. word I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread bread's pretty expensive right now and I don't doubt that any of us have had to make some cutbacks and we've had to examine th some things I realize and this is by no means please listen to me very carefully this is by no means a sob story but it just caught me those of you who, Sister Dawn, Sister Julie, y'all been here since I've been pastor. But I realize I have paid more in gas this week than my first year's weekly paychecks pastoring this church. But you know what? I learned back then to trust Him. Which means if gas gets to $5 a gallon and bacon is $12 a pack or however it is right now I just have proved him which is why I can stand here and say no matter what the world would do I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread Jesus Jesus how 
can I pick on you for just a moment? Those of you who are like me and your old souls and you love old songs. I like it. But do you really like this one? If you do, look at that last line. Oh, for grace to trust him more. If you believe that line, what you are saying is, Lord, there'll be a day when where I've proved you here, there's going to be a situation bigger than what you've ever done before. Can I have grace to trust you for that big situation? Oh, for grace to trust you more. And tomorrow when I wake up and I face something I've never faced before, oh, for grace to trust him more. Thank you, team, for leading us in such an incredible way today. I've proved him or over and over. How many of you love that verse that says he can do exceeding and abundantly of all we ask or think? Hang tight. We'll get back to that verse here in just a moment. I'm so thankful you're here today and love the presence of God that I feel on a, a Wednesday night, a time for us to just kind of get filled up. And I don't know about you, and, and, and I pastor a church. This is where I work, but my spiritual tank gets depleted. I can't imagine some of you in some of the job places that where you're working at, your tank is depleted. But we come to church and we gather and we are able to lift up holy hands. We're able to worship. It's just that kind of refill area. And I'm glad you're here. We want our ushers to come and we're going to take up our tithes. We're going to take up our offering. As we do so, I want to, obviously we have church coming up Sunday. Y'all know what that's about. Uh, but I, I want to remind you of well, actually, it's not reminding, it's telling you, but you would have seen it come through maybe on social media today. Uh, maybe you would have seen it come through on uh, an email or a text. Uh, but this Sunday, it's a little bit of a late notice, but I finally got the information. But this Sunday at 6 p.m., Section 1 of Missouri, that's all of our United Pentecostal churches, mainly in this St. Louis metro area, they're having a Section 1 unity rally and we've done a lot of youth rallies here where our young people come together but this is a rally where everyone wants to come together it's going to be held in Chesterfield Missouri I just lost the uh here it is I just lost it it's going to be held in Chesterfield Missouri um at the Chesterfield YMCA and that is where brother Ernest Martinez's church is being held we're going to have two speakers that are planting churches in this uh area today brother Cullen Cressman is launching a church uh, in Wentzville, Missouri, and Brother Romero, uh, I can't say his last name, but he is in Overland, Missouri, uh, launching a church. And so we're going to hear from them. We're going to worship. We're going to sing. It's going to be a great time. And uh, we would love for you to be a part of that. Other churches in the area are going to be joining us. And we don't have church on Sunday night. So here is for all of you that have begged us to have church on Sunday night. I'll see whether you are there or not, and then we can go from there. Uh, so that's how that goes. But it's a way for all of our churches to come together. They want to do this about three times a year where, where our churches come together and just celebrate what God is doing. And you can see that on social media, our, our Facebook and things like that, texts and emails that came out. So pay attention and be a part of that. Ushers, would you come? Father, thank you for this day. Lord, would you allow your presence to continue to be with us as we get into the word of God. Use and take our offerings that we give in all of the various ways that we have. Let it be for your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Why don't you come give? Why don't you shake a hand if you've given online? Just get out, shake somebody's hand for a moment, and, and we're glad you're here.
Praise the Lord. I, I tried to get it where we could play it, but I guess it's illegal to rip stuff off of YouTube and try to play it on the screen. At least that's what I was told, and nothing I did worked. But I, I don't. I, I try not to preach about things you see on TV or movies. But I mean, if you've been to Applebee's, you've seen it. Have you ever seen a commercial for uh, the? I think it's the the Capital One card. Anybody happen to know what currently their tagline is? The Capital One card. It's usually Samuel Jackson or someone like that. Anybody know what it is? What's in your wallet? What's in your wallet? And, and uh, yeah, I wish I could say it like Samuel Jackson. It'd be good. But, you know, they, they, they always have something going on, and then they'll, they'll flash this credit card, and they'll, they'll say, what's in your wallet? And the, the understanding is if you don't have that card in your wallet, you're up a creek. Because that card has no blackout dates for airlines. I don't necessarily believe it, but that's what they say. And that card will do this, and that card has this APR, and you'll get all these points. What's in your wallet? I want to preach on that today, not on credit cards and not on Samuel Jackson and not on uh, 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 MasterCard, but I want to ask you this question simply, what's in your wallet? Acts chapter 3, and we'll get back to it in a minute, but we're just going to kind of start there. Acts chapter 3, you can turn it. I'm going to tell you the story, and you can almost quote it. Peter and John are going to the temple. It's about 3 p.m. or in Jewish time. It's about the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth, later on you find out that he's over 40 years old. He's been lame for 40 some odd years. Laying daily at the, te- at the gate, beautiful. And, and as people would walk into the temple to, to worship, as they would walk in the temple to pay their offerings, he was there shaking his tin can, alms, alms, do you have any money, give me some money, it never fails, and I don't know how many of you know this, but uh, our, our organization is United Pentecostal Church International. That's our, our organization that I'm a minister in, and this church is affiliated with. And once a year, we have a, a conference, a general conference, called that we call General Conference. Uh, every two years, so next year, every two years, we have a huge youth congress. Our youth congress will... We'll be bumping the, the 40,000 mark probably next time. And our general conferences, depending on where they are, they'll bump the, the six to 8,000 mark. And it, it's, it's amazing. It's like people know. You go there, all the beggars in the whole city are right there. Because it's a church group and we're supposed to give. You know how that is. And that's how Peter and James were, or, and, and, or Peter and John rather were. They're going to temple, alms, alms. And the Bible says Peter looks at the man. And the man looks back at him expecting to receive something. Let let, let me ask a really hard question. You ready? We'll see who's brave to answer. How many of you pull up to the, 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 these intersections and invariably someone's right there and you just stare straight ahead as if they don't exist? Because you know, if you make eye contact, they're getting pretty bold now here in O'Fallon. Man, they, I, I had one the other day that I wouldn't look at him, and he came and knocked on my window. <laughs> smile and wave, smile and wave. But, but that's how it was. Peter and, and John, they're walking, and they, they look at the man, and the man knows if I've got eye contact, I've won half the battle. And the Bible says he looks expecting To receive something. And then that famous verse in the Bible. Where Peter looks at him and he says, silver and gold have I none. But I do have something. What's in your wallet? Silver and gold have I none. But what I do have in the name of Jesus rise up and walk. And the Bible says immediately that man's feet and ankle bones receive strength. He leaps to his feet the first time he's been able to do so in 40 years and goes leaping and running into the temple. By the way, just just as a side note, totally free, do you understand the magnitude of that miracle? It's not enough that he just fixed ankle bones. That man had never walked in 40 years. Imagine all the muscles that that, that were atrophied. Atrophied, rather. That's the proper way to say that word. Atrophied. 
I mean, some of you, you've sat on your foot wrong and it fell asleep and it takes you five minutes to get the pins and needles out. But that healing that God did was so instantaneous that a man that's never used those muscles not just walks or hobbles but leaps and runs. And the question is, what's in your wallet? There's a story relayed. I don't know if it's true or not. There's a story relayed of a man who was taking a tour of the Vatican and, and as he was going in and out, they were showing him room after room filled with treasure, room after room filled with priceless works of art and artifacts from across the globe. And the tour guide, after leaving one of those rooms filled with priceless things, made the comment, well, you can see no longer can we say silver and gold have I none. And the story says that that man looks at him and says, yeah, but can you say in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk? I'm, I'll be honest, I'm okay if, you, if, if we've got the treasure. But I want to make sure we can still say in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. I'm glad you drive a better car now, hopefully, than you've ever driven in your life. That's good, but can you still say rise up and walk? Moses, when you go back to Exodus chapter 3, Moses ha- has escaped from, from well, I mean, he, he ran away from Egypt. He didn't want to get caught after he had murdered an Egyptian and some of his own his uh, uh, Hebrew brothers were kind of talking about him. And so he leaves, he goes and there in the back country, keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. He comes and he sees that burning bush. He has that burning bush experience, that call that comes to Moses. Moses, you're uniquely situated. I, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to point your finger into Pharaoh's face and say, let my people go. And there, as you get into Exodus chapter 4, Moses begins to waver on his call. And I don't want to, I really, this needs its own sermon, and I know I say that a lot, but that's what happens when you study the Bible. That's what happens when you get ready to preach. You're going somewhere, and then the Bible starts leading you over here, and I need more time to preach. But Moses begins to waver on his qualifications. I don't think I can do this. I don't don't think I can handle this. I'm not qualified to do this. In Exodus chapter 4 at verse 1, he says, uh, God, they're not going to even believe me. They're not going to listen to my voice. If I understand the timing a little bit, he was 40 years old when he went into the desert. He was 40 years old when he hit the burning bush, or at least when he came back to Moses. So those guys that, that he tried to quit from fighting that said, well, are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? That was 40 years ago. But that's still what's in Moses' mind. And I love what the Lord said to him. The Lord did not say to Moses, Moses, don't be afraid. You're going to walk into Egypt and I'm going to send my angel army around you and you're going to float like, like, like some, some god. You're going to float into Egypt and, and, and I'm going to have rainbows shooting out of your head. And That's not what God said. God looks at him and says this, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? What's in your wallet? What you got? Moses looks and he goes, well, I got a staff. And so the Lord says, well, throw it on the ground. He throws it on the ground. It becomes a snake. And then I love the simplicity of the Bible, at least in my Bible. Exodus chapter 4 and verse 2, verse 3 at the end. He threw it on the ground, it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. So if you're scared of snakes, not calling any of y'all out, I ain't even looking at anybody right now. You're in good company. Moses was afraid of snakes. He runs from it and God says, pick it up. I mean, at least the Lord was nice. He said, catch it by the tail. I wish I could have seen that. Moses chasing the snake around, finally catches it by the tail. As soon as he catches it by the tail, instantly it comes a staff in his hand. And he says, this is going to be so that they believe the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob had appeared unto you. Later on, he said, put your hand in your cloak and take it out. It looked like it had leprosy or it had become leprous. Stick it back in. There were a lot of miracles that God did, and it was simply, what do you have? I can use it. 
God desires to use. God desires to look at humanity. He's done this all throughout Scripture. God doesn't necessarily give you an abundance of stuff to do the work God's called you to do. He is just looking for someone who's willing to surrender their life and put your life in the hand of God. He's asking you, if, if I can say it, what's in your wallet? God would have used anything. God could have used anything. But he chose to use Moses. Again, if I could give you a side note, Moses waffled. Moses then got out of that. Well, I stutter and I don't think I can make my words come out. And, and at this point, God gets kind of angry at Moses. And, and this is my own interpretation. I don't know, all of you theologians, you may see it differently. But here's what I find. When, when, God kinda wa- or, or when, when Moses waffled and made God mad, God still was going to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. But if you go, he says, I'll send your your brother Aaron and Aaron will speak for you. And all of a sudden Aaron shows up. But if you go to to Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's court, whose staff got thrown down? Aaron's. Whose staff got picked up? Aaron's. Whose voice did the children of Israel tend to listen to, especially when there was a golden calf around? Aaron's. Because Moses got this attitude, well, I don't know if you can use me, and God said, fine, I'll use somebody else. You'll still be a part of it, I'll use somebody else. And so I want to caution you that God will always find another way if you don't want to be used. He even said in Luke chapter 19, verse 40, if you don't praise me, if these people don't praise me, I'll let the rocks cry out. I was reading something just trying to kind of look through that verse and somebody said, well, it probably didn't mean the literal rocks would cry out. Well, I disagree completely because I've got verse after verse in the Psalms that talks about the hills that can skip like rams and the cedars that can shake. And I promise you that there is an earth that will cry out if we don't. What's in your wallet? It's David and Goliath. And no, I'm kind of just heaping some... Some stories one after another, but it's David and Goliath in 2 Samuel chapter 17. And we see that that story go forth. And again, I'm not trying to mess up anybody's theology, but I don't think David was a six-year-old kid fighting a 30-year-old giant. Because the chapter before that, I believe it's the chapter before that, says that, that David became Saul's armor bearer. Well... You can't carry Saul's armor who's a head and shoulder over everybody else if, if you're not strong enough. I believe David was a strapping young man that while Saul's armor may not have fit him perfectly, Saul was a very tall person. It wasn't that David said the armor didn't fit. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says David said, I've not proved that armor. So I don't, I don't think, and, and maybe if I do children's, I do something different. But when I really read the Bible, David was not a six-year-old kid fighting a 30-year-old giant. David could have put that armor on, and David could have wielded a sword. But he went back to the thing that was in his hand, a sling. And he walks into the battlefield without any, he, he's got a sling, but seemingly no ammunition. Because somewhere between where he was and Goliath was, was a stream. And he kneels down and he picks up five smooth stones. And he puts that in his sling. And yes, David had a lot of of practice with that sling. By the way, if you'll go read your Bible, was it the, maybe the men from Benjamin, I think. One of the tribes were very experienced sling throwers. I've seen some National Geographic specials on those those old slings. Not Not the ones you pull back, but the ones you reel on your head. They were powerful. I've seen guys that are, that, that are good with that, that can shoot them like we shoot guns. I mean, they can, they can knock off bottles. They, they would absolutely kill somebody. But it was not just the talent that David had that defeated the giant. It was God saying, what's in your hand? If you're willing to give it to me, I'll turn it into something incredible. 2 Kings chapter 4. Again, this is the third story because you always got to have three points. This is the third, third illustration. Not this is my third point. This is just the third part of my first point. So to give you all any help. But 2 Kings chapter 4, when, when uh, Elisha 
finds that, that widow who, who is going to die. She has nothing left, it seems, the, the, uh, uh, the drought, that's the word I'm looking for, the drought has taken everything she has, and Elisha looks at her and he says, what do you have in your house? And she says, I don't have anything in my house. And then it's almost like she stops and she says, well, I have one thing. I have a pot of oil. And Elisha says, we can use that. Now, God could have done anything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He could have snapped his fingers and he could have put money in her bank account. He could have snapped her fingers and, and all of the food would have gone back into the cupboards. But instead, he said, do you have, what, what do you have in the house? I have nothing except a pot of oil. That's enough. And as the old saying says, when God's in it, it'll be enough. Go out and gather a bunch of vessels. Gather as many as you can. Don't gather a few. Gather as many pots and pans and, and, and cruises and vials and vessels as you can and begin to pour in it. And so she takes that pot of oil and she begins to pour into those vessels. And, and she pours and the Bible says when there were no more empty vessels, all of a sudden she ran out of oil. The oil stopped flowing. What's in your wallet? And so I take us back to Acts chapter 3, and I want to take some time here. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. What did Peter have? He didn't have Jesus with him anymore, at least not walking beside him. But it goes back to Peter, or, 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 or what, what the Lord said to Peter in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you shall receive Okay, just make sure everybody else is awake. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You'll be witnesses in Judea and Samaria and uttermost parts of the world. And it goes back to the ends of the Gospels where he says, you know, these signs shall follow them that believe. And Peter steps there. Now, Peter has just seen an incredible miracle. They had been there 120 and exactly what the Lord said was going to happen as he ascended into heaven just took place in an upper room. Peter gets out and preaches that message, that first Pentecostal message. And 3,000 receive it. 3,000 are baptized. And now Peter's doing what he knows best. I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go spend some time in the temple. Silver and gold have I none, but there is something that I do Peter had something far greater than money. He had far, something far greater than, than, than anything he could ever imagine. He had that authority that Jesus had. There's a, you, you keep flipping the pages and you get to Acts chapter 7. Because up till then, I mean I, I know they went to, they, went to uh, they got called before the, the council after this miracle happens. This is Acts chapter 4. I love how the Bible puts it out. They're, the priests and the Pharisees, Sadducees are all gathered together and they say, you know, we, this is a notable miracle. We can't deny that this miracle happened. I mean, how do you deny the fact that a 40-year-old who's never walked is now dancing and running around making a fool of himself? And so they call them in front of them, don't preach this, don't teach this, don't do any of it. And Peter and John and the rest of them say, well, you can tell us whatever you want to say, but I can't help but. There's something inside of me. It's, it's bursting to get out. And it goes on. Things are going good. The church is growing. They, they have to, they have to kind of get a deacon board together so that they can have some help. And they get those. And here you have Stephen. Stephen is one of those who were called to uh, those seven men in Acts chapter 6 who were full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, full of good repute. And they're appointed to kind of help divvy up food to widows and the Greeks that need help. Um, by the way, just since we have our young people in here, I would tell you that it said they were full of the Spirit. So we weren't just picking people who could work. They were picking people who were full of the Spirit to do the work around the church. But it didn't stop them from having great revivals. Philip was part of that. And Philip's in a revival. And and, and Stephen's a part of that. And Stephen's having great revival. Stephen's having such a great revival. The Bible says in verse 8 of Acts chapter 6, that Stephen being full of grace and power, doing great wonders and signs among the people. Just like, just like Peter. And, and they, they get mad about this. And they pick him up. 
they bring him back before the, the Jewish high court. And uh, they're asking him, you know, what are you doing? And Stephen, full of the Holy Ghost, he's preaching. Look at verse 54, Acts chapter 7. Verse 54 of Acts chapter 7. And when they heard these things, they, being the high court, were enraged. They're so mad, they're grinding their teeth. They don't even know what to say. They're just enraged at him. But verse 55, but he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And, and then later on, they, they're picking up, they, they, they bring him out, they cast him out of the city, verse 58, they stone him. Witnesses are laying down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's Paul that you find out later. And as they were stoning Stephen, as they were stoning Stephen, he calls out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I'd probably be praying the same thing. Lord, I'm about to die. And holding and falling to his knees, he cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. That means he died. Now you can read that and it, it, it paints a picture of the first Christian martyr. But here's how I read that. Now, um, I don't know if any of you have ever had a near-death experience, a true near-death experience. Not that you saw a spider, but I'm talking about a true near-death experience. I was talking to someone just recently, someone that, that we know, and, and their, their young boy uh, a couple years ago got attacked by a dog that they knew. And I mean, it was a very vicious attack. And... Uh, you know, that boy, all he could say over and over was, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me. Because in his mind, he was dying. And if any of us get to the place where we're going to die, I have a feeling that's probably going to be the natural reaction. Am I ready? But they're stoning Stephen. Now, this isn't a, a quick, fast event. They're bouncing rocks off of Stephen's head. And the last thing Stephen says... And if it's the last thing he said, it means he had absorbed quite a few blows at that point because he's about to die. They've bashed his brains out. And the last thing he says is forgive them. Don't hold it against them. Stephen is interceding for the ones that are bouncing rocks off his head. How do you do that? Some of us, myself included, have problems interceding for the one that looked at you funny. Right? And so, the more I read Acts, the more you, 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 you pass over the big stuff because you finally figure that out and you start looking at this. How do you get to the place where they can bounce rocks off your head and you pray for them? I'll tell you why. What's in your wallet? If your wallet's empty, you're on your knees just trying to get to heaven. You're on your knees just trying to make it right. Can you imagine a man who lived a life where he didn't have to repent at his deathbed, but he could pray for others? I want to be that man. I want to be that man that when I get to the end of my life, I'm not having to take my breath, making sure I'm going to get to heaven. Why? Because I know I've got something tucked away in my wallet. Instead, in my last dying breath, I'm trying to accomplish the call of the gospel. Maybe, just maybe, it was that intercession before that rock bounces one more time that caused a light a few chapters later to knock a young man named Saul off a horse and Jesus began to arrest the guy that held the cloaks and later on in Paul's own admission says, I encourage them, hit them harder, throw the rock farther. Come on, Bartholomew, you can do it. Knock him out. He interceded. Why? You do that if you have something in the tank. I was telling, I think it was Sister Cindy, because uh, we were talking before church, you know, and, and I try to give them a little bit of where we're going with the sermon and, and what it is. And, and here's so that they kind of know what song to sing. Here's where it is. If God puts someone in your path right now for you to pray with, do you feel qualified to pray for them? Or do you say, well, I need to go pray through so that I can then pray for others? That's why the Bible says be instant in season and out of season. 
I mean, just, just on, a, on an absolute nature of ministry, I want to be able to look at anybody in this church at any time, and, and I want to tell Brother Justin, Brother Justin, I don't know why, but I feel like you need to preach tonight. Now, that may freak him out. I know it freaks Sister Carrie out. But, but Justin, and, and I can do this with him, because Justin's not going to say, well, man, that sounds great. But in the back of his mind, he's like, yeah, I know what I did last night. I don't think I ought to be up there preaching. Now, I want to be able to say, Brother Justin, I don't know why, but I need you to preach tonight. And Justin says, I can do it, because I got something in the wallet. I, 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 yeah, I can pray for somebody because I'm, I'm ready to pray with them. Absolutely, we can have an instantaneous revival around the water cooler of the church because I, I'm, I'm ready. There's something in the wallet. Here's some insight. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14 says it this way. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Here is Paul's prayer. Paul says, I'm going to pray for you. So I know this is to the church at Ephesus, but, but just imagine he's praying for you. This is Paul saying, I want to pray for each one of you. I'm bowing my knees from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. And here's the prayer. You ready? I, I receive this kind of prayer. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know that the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think. And we start shouting and we take laps around the church because... When we get to a bad spot in our life, we start quoting this verse. I don't know how I'm going to get out of it, but oh, thank God, who can do more than I can ask or think. How many of you have quoted that, that before? Did you quote the second part? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, don't forget the second part, according to the power of at work in you, in us. Well, that changes everything. Could it be, and you'd have to ask my dad and some of these, these literary giants that, that, that know exactly how the English language works. I don't even pronounce most words right, but I'm kind of thinking that if the power isn't at work within you, it kind of absolves everything else. That if there is no power at work within you, then you don't have any business talking to the one and asking and believing that he can do it. So my question is, is that power at work in you? Peter says, Silver and gold have I none. This isn't something I can buy. In fact, I could take you to other places and acts where people tried to buy the power. It doesn't work. I believe in music, and I think music is incredible, and I believe there is a deep spiritual aspect to music, and I believe in worship, but, but you can't just sing the right song and expect God to move. I believe in preaching, and, and, and we're saved by the foolishness of preaching, but it's not just going to be a good sermon that affects the atmosphere and affects the revival and affects the change. It all goes back. Put that up, Brother Andy, again. It all goes back to that. Yes, I want that far, uh, that, that he can do exceeding more abundantly, far more abundantly than everything we could ask, everything we could think about, everything that we can dream about. But it all hinges on this, the power at work within us. Is it actively working? So it is. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, tucked in the middle of, uh, of the Lord's Sermon on the Mount, verse 19, Acts, or, or rather Matthew 6, 19. So don't lay up for yourselves. Treasures here on earth. 
where moth and rust destroy, thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart might be also. It seems an interesting place to go after where I've, I've been. But as I, I read that, it reminded me of another one, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. And it says it this way, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. For God, who has said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have... This treasure in earthen vessels or in clay jars. So, doing a little literary English. What is the treasure? Well, let's go back. Here's the treasure. The treasure is, for God has said, let light shine out of darkness. And he's shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure. And it's in earthen vessels. To show. That the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. I could keep going and I could tell you right after that is where you get the one where he says we're inflicted in every way. We're pressed down. We're crushed. We're perplexed. Not driven to despair. We're persecuted but not forsaken. And he's trying to say that hey there's going to be some things that happen to you. But it doesn't deny the power at work within us. If you get sick that doesn't mean God doesn't have the power. If something doesn't happen the way you thought, it doesn't deny the power. It's the power at work within us that treasure in earthen vessels. Perhaps the best way I could describe that to you would be very simply this. I would take you to the book of Judges, chapter 7. Book of Judges, chapter 7 begins to Introduce us to the main story of Gideon. Where God has chosen Gideon to help break the yoke of the Midianites that have brought them into captivity. Stole, steals all their food, all their livestock and they're, they're scared. So Gideon gets together and he gets a lot of people I mean, I want you to just take a moment because I just, it blows my mind. If I read the Bible correctly, Gideon started with 32,000 men. How do I know that? Because he said, tell them, whoever's afraid right now, tell them they can go home. And the Bible says 22,000 of the people went home and 10,000 remained. He just lost two-thirds of his army. And then later on he says, ah, that's too many. I, I'm afraid that if I let those fight, you'll say, well, it's because we had a good army. I, I want you to depend on me. So why don't you take them to the river and see how they drink water. Those of you who just kneel down and kind of suck water out of the, the river like a dog, send them home. They weren't paying attention. Choose only the ones that kind of grab the water out in their hands and looked around as they're, as they're drinking. He says, do that. And so of those... Uh, 10,000 that remained again if I understand the math 9,700 of them suck water like a dog and he sent them home and now he has 300 men he said go, go down against them Gideon gets to see how the Midianites see him and it's pretty cool and I'm, I'm skipping over this but Gideon tells him he says here's what I want you to do my 300 men. I'm going to divide my 300 men into three companies. There's going to be 100 each. This group is going to go around that way. This group's going to go around that way. And there'll be one that's going to kind of be at the middle. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to put trumpets in, in, in one hand. And I want you to put, are you ready? An earthen jar in the other. And in the earthen jar, I want you to stick a torch. And at night, when they're all not thinking we're going to fight middle of the night, the middle watch when you hear that sound we're going to blow our trumpets now I'm going to tell you that was probably disconcerting to the enemy 
about the time they were ready to go to bed, middle of the woods, 300 trumpets just start blowing. But it didn't stop there. They smashed their earthen jars and light appeared. Scared the Midianites so bad they started killing each other. Hitting whoever they could hit and a great victory was won. And the Lord began to deal with me these last couple of days. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. The question is, are you willing to smash your vessel? Are you willing to surrender your life? Are you willing to let his light so shine? If they'd have kept that torch in their own earthen vessel, the, the Gideon and his men, probably at some point it would have gone out. It wouldn't have been able to breathe. It had gone out. Or if it stayed lit, it certainly didn't help the situation. It shone no light on the situation. And so I would ask you, are you willing to let God shine through your life? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. Because I could preach to you right now, and I think I've done it, but I can remind you over and over, you got to have something in order to give something. If you're living a God-forsaken, sinful life and you expect to go lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, it's probably not going to happen. I could take you to the book of James and show you that the reason your prayers aren't getting answered is because you're not right and you're asking amiss. So that's one element of it. But I'm pretty sure walking out of the upper room and preaching and seeing 3,000 people and going, still going to church or going to the temple, pretty confident Peter and John were living right, Brother Kozar. But they could have walked right by and let that light stay in that earthen vessel. But when he looked at him, that was Peter kind of putting himself out on a limb. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. That's why John later on would write, 1 John chapter 4 verse 4, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. I was going to preach this message a few Wednesday nights ago when we had that incredible altar call that just began to take over and we ended up praying and and praying for people. And this was the message I was going to preach then. And God just kind of let us do that. God let us let the light shine and begin to pray. But I had written in my notes because it was the Wednesday that followed Brother Sponsler preaching. And Brother Sponsler had made that statement. Talked about we have to speak faith. You speak it into existence. And that's not some charismatic mumbo jumbo. That's biblical. In the name of Jesus, I have faith that the God that I saw a few months ago or a few years ago that reached out to, to lame people on a cot and they rose and walked. Peter said, that same God is at work within me. And so I believe and I'm going to speak faith. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And it did. And so today I would ask you on a Wednesday night and with this group that's here, I'm going to ask you what's in your wallet? What do you have? Is your spiritual bank full? Because nowhere in Scripture do I find that God desires to just give you a little. I find that God desires to fill you to overflowing to do exceeding and abundantly more overflowing. And Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. And Stephen filled with the Holy Ghost. And over and over and over and over, I keep finding it. Are you filled? So the question today, and, and I think we've got a hair bit of time. Somebody may need to let me sleep on your couch tonight because I told Sister Buford we'd be done at 8.30 and she's down with the kids so she's, I'm now eight minutes later than I told her and she's probably trying to keep the kids entertained but I still think we have a little bit of time 
for you to pray two prayers. I want you to stand with me today. Number one, are you filled? I didn't ask, do you have the Holy Ghost? I asked, are you filled? It's not enough for you just to have it one time. It's not enough for Peter to just experience it on the day of Pentecost. But he's going to have to have it a few days later when he goes and prays. He's going to have to have it sometime later when he's on a roof and the Lord begins to speak to him before he goes and meets Cornelius. Are you full? And if you can honestly say, I'm full of his spirit, full and overflowing, then the next question I would ask you is, that treasure that you have in earthen vessels, are you willing to let that light so shine? Are you willing to break your vessel so that his glory is revealed? Not I, but Christ in me. Not I, but the hope of his glory. If I preach, it's not Brandon Buford preaching, it's Christ's words. I want you to hear that. If I do a Bible study, it's not my thoughts. It's His voice calling and wooing them, drawing them. So I wonder right now if they begin to play, if they sing, whatever it is that they might do, would you just begin to ask and pray of those two prayers? Lord, am I full? If not, fill me. Fill me until your spirit overflows.